Welcome to the pen and the yad. This week's Torah portion is Shalach Lecha. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshiamet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig about Shalach Lecha. What's the big idea and why does it matter? How are you getting along? Uh, one day at a time. Uh, every day feels the same. I don't know about you, but it's uh, it's it's hard to tell the weekends from the weekdays, except for Shabbat. Thank God for Shabbat again. I feel like I'm I'm losing track of time. I think that's a that's a great insight. Uh, Shabbat does help us get a get a measure of the week and sort of end the monotonous flow from day to day. I actually find that because I'm doing services from the synagogue, just the act of putting on a suit and walking down the street dressed in something other than sweats or jeans is also just a, an experience of, of the self. So it's interesting. Yeah, maybe I should start dressing for Shabbat. Uh, maybe that would help. I, well, I think it's a start. I haven't had a shower in months. Okay, uh, that's probably more information <laughs> than we needed. So let's turn to the Torah then. Um, the Torah reading for this week is Shlach Lecha. And in the Torah reading is, I think, the greatest national debacle of the Jewish people. And I, and that would include the golden calf. Because in this story, the people of Israel are actually standing on the precipice of the promised land. They send out spies to reconnoiter the land. And when the spies come back, 10 spies say the land is just as it was promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. They even bring back giant grapes that they carry on a stave. They're so large, which is the symbol for the Department of Tourism in Israel today. And they say it's beautiful, but we must have been like grasshoppers in their eyes. That's how we, these people must have seen us. They were like giants. And the only two of the 12, Joshua and Caleb, uh, are willing to say that we can do this. We just have to have faith in God. This is the situation that Moses is faced with. After wandering in the desert, here we are. We're right here. And the people listen to the voices of doubt, the 10 spies, and there's a rebellion. Not such a great story. No, not so good at all. Um, and I guess, you know, what strikes me is the um, the division there. It's interesting that they seem unable to think about the big picture and, and what's best for the community, what's best for the nation. They're, um, they're divided from the get-go, which is certainly something that we can relate to in modern times. I think that's a great insight. I, I always think uh, of Roosevelt's line, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And we see in this portion what a destructive force fear can be. Because what is being asked of the people is exactly what you're talking about. They're being asked to embrace a big idea. The big idea is that God, the creator of heaven and earth, wants them to have this land. They are in a covenantal relationship, and the covenant can only be fulfilled on that land. And that God is with them. And just two years out of Egypt, these are a slave people. But they're asked to grasp something larger than themselves, and they fail. And as a result, and the punishment speaks to exactly what you're saying. The generation that doubted God, that doubted the mission, is going to have to wander into the in, wander in the desert until the next generation comes up who will be able to embrace that larger idea. I was going to say, it's interesting that you mentioned Roosevelt because um... – for a long time, he was criticized for not seeing the big picture, for reluctantly viewing the war in Europe and 
feeling like this was not something the United States had to had to be involved in at great cost to many lives. And then when we did finally enter the war, we saw the best of America in that we um, we were not putting ourselves first. We were thinking about the big picture. We were thinking about the in Europe, but in the United States as we as we uh, fought our way out of the depression by by creating jobs, by putting people to work, by providing you know enormous social welfare programs. Suddenly, Americans were called on to not think of themselves, but to think of democracy and how we can save it. The big idea moves people, whether it's posters of Rosie the Riveter or the war films or the newsreels. Everyone came together to embrace this message. And what's interesting about the Torah reading is that what do the people want to do instead of going into Canaan and settling this land? They want to go back to Egypt. That's the really shocking aspect of the story. They want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to slavery. And so in a way, trying to hold on to the past at a moment when you are presented with the opportunity for a new future is ultimately a form of enslavement. And I wonder how, how you would respond if I said that the isolationism, the American first idea of the 30s, taking care of our own, was a form of sort of enslavement as to what America was to as opposed to what America could be. Yeah, I think when we feel insecure, we tend to withdraw. You know, we want to curl up in the fetal position, right? That's that's why they call it the fetal position when you're afraid. Um, you want to go back into your mother's womb, right? If you if you were to play Freud here, and it's the same kind of feeling. Like when the world gets scary, we want to just withdraw. Um, just as we, you know, wanted to withdraw and tried to withdraw when we saw this virus coming our way, the instinct is to protect yourself and uh, and survive, and perhaps even, you know, in the Egyptians, in, in the Israelites' case. Uh, that would mean willing to, to go back into slavery. Think about that. Think how strong the urge for for survival, for the, the fear of the unknown must have been if they were willing to embrace slavery as the alternative. That's exactly it. And if you think about it, if you and I were Israelites standing there at that time, I would love to be able to say to you that I would, of course, stand with Joshua and Caleb. When Joshua and Caleb respond and say, God will be with us. We can do this. We can go forward. Right? I'd love to, I'd love to say, yeah, I would be right there. But it's equally likely that you or I would look at our kids, look at our wives and say, I don't know. This is going to be hard. This is scary. Maybe this wasn't such a great idea. And it's the urge that you're talking about. The urge is to kind of go fetal, as you would say. It's, it's a human instinct. We're, we're, in a way, we're prone to inaction. Uh, that's why you hear these behavioral theorists talk. I can never pronounce that behavioral theorists talking about not giving people the, the option to opt out, right? Make it required, make it the, that you are an automatically enrolled in healthcare. You're automatically enrolled in your IRA program. You have to get opt out of it because if we find something that's good for the society, that's, that clearly works for the greater good, don't give people a choice. Don't make it an option. Uh, make it an option not to do it. But sometimes that's easier said than done. Well, I think that what we're looking at is people willing to take that leap as opposed to the government imposing it on us. Isn't that right? It requires action. It requires um, a commitment. And, and in effect, that's what religion is, right? It's a, it requires a, a commitment and a recommitment and a recommitment. You can't just opt in automatically. Well, but it, what's it a recommitment to? 
And what I would suggest to you is that a true religion is a opportunity to commit yourself to something that is bigger than you are, something that is more grand than you are, something that has greater ideals that will outlive you, but you can be part of the larger process. So Moses, this is all, all this is going to create this downward spiral for Moses as a result of what's going to start in this week's partial will also ultimately lead in next week's portion to Moses's uh, being denied going into the promised land. The idea there is on one level that that's a punishment. On the other hand, it's a statement to us that if something is really important, if you're attaching yourself to an important idea, then it really outlives you and you have the opportunity to take it forward. And I, and I wonder if you think that the coronavirus is one of those moments when we're being given not only a great, one of the greatest challenges of American history, but also one of the greatest opportunities. Yeah, and I feel like I'm a little cynical. I feel like maybe we're blowing it. I I don't know about you, but I get angry now when I see somebody not wearing a mask. Uh, I feel like they're not understanding that we're that we that we're in this together. That you might feel comfortable going out without a mask, but you're making me uncomfortable, and you're potentially imperiling the people in those stores that you're walking through without a mask. And I feel like that's a symbol. It's like a a daily symbol, a daily test of our commitment to the community, to the greater good. And I'm not sure we're passing the test that I felt like I saw today when I went for a walk, I saw maybe half the people were wearing masks. Well, I think your neighborhood is better than mine. I actually count uh, every time I go outside. And usually it's probably 30 to 40% of the people outside are wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And what is so ironic is that oftentimes if people who are not wearing masks see me coming with my gloves and masks on, walking in the dog, they move away from me because I guess I'm signaling them that there's something wrong with me, which I'm perfectly happy or, about. Or maybe they're walking away because they realize that they are a risk to you and they still don't want to wear a mask. So yeah. explain that. I, I actually can't, I can't, except that it's like cognitive dissonance of the, of the highest order. But I would actually go beyond it and I would say that it is narcissism. It's narcissism mm -hmm. that it's all about me anyway, and I'm okay. You just need to go take care of yourself, and that it just and stay out of my lane. I'm running here, and I, I do get that sense. And it is exactly what we were talking about a minute ago. It is the unwillingness to attach yourself to a larger idea that we are in this together. And you know what? You might be carrying the coronavirus and I might get it from you. And you don't have a right to do that knowingly. Who are we as a nation? I think the issue of community is being tested. The national idea of what does it mean to be a citizen? What is it? What is my connection to you? Because at the end of the day, Going back to the story, the Israelites who sided with the 10, they were also doing something against those who wanted to go forward. They were damaging the covenant. They were damaging the relationship with God, which is, by the way, why God wanted to destroy them. And so whether or not God is this kind of fiery being that wants to destroy the nation, the reality is, is that when, when nations do not embrace their larger ideals, 
they risk their own destruction. So did we learn anything? Did the Israelites learn anything from this? Because I'm afraid that we're not learning anything so far in this country. We still have our, you know, uh, we, we, we still seem to be a narcissistic nation ruled by narcissists who are only concerned with their own reelection. And I worry that, uh, I, I hope you're going to tell me that, that, that we, 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 we can learn something from this. I know you're going to tell me that we can learn something from this. Well, either that, I have to turn in my rabbinic license. Um, <laughs> well, the story goes on. They, you know, Moses will die, the generation will die off, and only Joshua is going to lead them forward. And he's going to take on the mantle of leadership 38 years later. And they send a new group of spies into the land. And they go to an inn, and they go to this inn, and they go to a woman by the name of Rachav. They identify themselves and say, if you work with us, we will spare your family from the ongoing war that's about to take place. And what she says to them is remarkable. She says, we were terrified of you. We felt as though you were the giants. And so this whole self-perception was exactly wrong, that the, the fear that the people had then was done away with. What really was happening was that the word of this people coming and the God that was walking with them, that was what they knew. And so part of this whole issue is about, is about vision, but also self-confidence that we can do this together. And, I, and they do. They do sellable land. Remember, you know, Joshua, you know, brings down the walls of Jericho, right? I mean, this is the power they marched through, and they could have done that 38 years earlier, but they didn't. And the question for us is, are we going to wait until another generation figures it out, or are we going to do it on our own time? <sighs> I don't think that was a rhetorical question, was it? No, I think that's I think that's the question of our age. But yeah. once again, the Torah's got something to say to us. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. Thanks, Rabbi.